This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come to life. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asian Crossroads. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Jones, and uh, we have a very special different episode today. Um, it's an, It should be an interesting one. It's one that I've been uh, trying to think about for, for a while, for, for the better part of a year now. Um, we have in our studio... Um, not this person's real name, uh, but Mao Mao, welcome to our studio. Thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, glad to glad to have you here, and uh, uh, glad you're uh, glad you're safe and sound. Uh, and um, uh, we're we're going to talk a lot more about um, your experiences. Maybe for our listeners, um, I can give a, give a quick context where this is sort of an an, an anniversary of an. Auspicious, inauspicious uh, 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 day, uh, February first, a year ago, the um, the military government in in Myanmar uh, officially um, seized power from the democratically elected um, government. Uh, they refused to recognize the results of uh, a November twenty um, twenty election, and uh, in which they um, would you say they they felt humiliated. By the by, the results or what do you? Th- yeah, I'm, I mean, it was a landslide victory for the NLD government. I think it's more than eighty-one percent, so, and and uh, yeah. the the military's um, pet, I would say, <laughs> the pet party. They they were aiming to get more than at least around like twenty-five or thirty percent, but they didn't get it, and then. Then they started the rumor of the election being rigged. Do you think? Um, I I wonder this sometimes. Like I remember when um, you know Indonesia before ninety eight, uh, there are elections that um, you know the military exercised various levels of of intimidation over those election processes. But we've seen occasions where um, they believe that, or or in, in like in like Timor, this was the case, East Timor, this was the case where the 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 they really thought the ruling, the 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 authoritarian regime, um, really were sort of drinking their own Kool Aid. They had believed that they were more popular, more important. Do you think that was the case? That they that they were they their their misinformation was their own kind of delusional. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, and the way the military operates in Burma is that. Uh, there's no room for criticism or constructive feedback amongst in their own institution, and what what usually happens is instead of coming, so the, so what the feedback loop there's not like yeah, there's not like outside voices. No. It's all inside, and they're no they are not solution oriented, but they are more excuse oriented. And and when your okay um, head of the head of the military is angry, they would find excuses, not solution. And and that's one of the reasons they started giving a, an excuse of of um, losing 
is because of the fraud. We're, right. You, you can't. You, it's un, It's unspeakable to say we're losing because we're deeply unpopular. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah that's true. <laughs> across Myanmar. But instead, it's it must be another thing, and it's because of... Um, yeah, it doesn't sound familiar at all in American <laughs> <laughs> politics. Uh, so... Um, yeah, well, um, Momo is here with us today, and um, as you're going to hear, we're going to walk through. Um, he has been uh, had a uh, kind of uh, fascinating firsthand account of of the, the 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 coup and the revolution and the counter the protest as they unfolded. And so, um, yeah, let's just sort of um, uh, if our you know if our listeners can do you know it's it's pretty widely reported in the news, although never enough. But um, you know who the National League for Democracy, the sort of the, the opposition party that became sort of uh, uh, the, the the took the widespread the popular vote and its leader Aung San Suu Kyi um, who uh, uh, sort of you know much revered sort of figure of 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 the democratic movement in in Burma um, that uh, she and her cohort were or jailed again and um, yeah uh, and we'll find we'll we'll talk through sort of what what is happening sort of over this past year but let's um, Let's start with uh, the the initial um, days of the coup. Uh, did you did you another were there, was there any sense? I guess the the election. Let's let's go back to the election. Was there any sense that um, this could be problematic, or do you think um, people who were democratically minded in Myanmar thought like this will be like other elections, and it will probably be? Was there a sense that this one was more ominous than previous ones? Um, I would say I represent like most of the twenties, um, most of the y- youth who are around twenty there, something, twenty yeah. something, and we saw an election happened before in uh, what was the year um, in twenty fifteen, and at where NLD won and everybody accepted the results, so we were kind of like pretty um, chill and we weren't that worried. And uh, before the election, because uh, there wasn't much uh, any any sort of any sign about staging a coup or anything, and I think it's mainly because the military at that time thought that they would also have a chance. But after the election, when all the ballots are counted and the results are out, uh, we get this. Uh, yeah, it's very. Not not so much, but I get the sense that something is going to happen. But we never thought there would be a coup. So leading up leading up to the elections, um, uh, it, there's there's a sense that <clears throat> maybe this will go like the like the previous elections like the previous and, one. and yeah. right and and we'll we're making cautious but but steady steps towards a more free and democratic yeah yeah Myanmar. Um, and again, we won't go into its. It's past. You should. We've talked about it on this podcast, other venues, but um, look it up. It's it's been um, um, sort of one of the most repressive regimes that uh, a array of sort of in the, in the 2010s of of opening kind of s- seemingly miraculously for some uh, by some estimation uh, uh, a movement forward, and then we see a regression, pretty serious one in the last year. But uh, okay, so so. How about in in November to 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 February? There's 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 this kind of immediate questioning by the by the Tatmada by the military government. Um, any anything to say in that period that's kind of important and relevant? Yeah, and uh, 
before the coup, the military held various um, press conferences claiming that um, the the election was rigged and, and and the results are false in some ways. And uh, in one of those press conferences, their spokesperson said that um, we are not staging a coup. That says his quote. We're not going to stage a coup, but you cannot expect that we won't do it. And uh, that's that's <laughs> but a we're very. Not, but we're not not yeah. staging a coup. But y- but you can expect that we won't do it. And uh, his that w- that was pretty soon after the election. Um, it was closer to the coup. I would okay, say it's okay. around January Be- because there was some sort of recounting and some like you know like and then the, uh, those results became. You know there were there were you know s- some irregularities, but n- still a massive no, landslide. Yes, for, yes. Yeah. There's not. There were some irregularity irregularities, but n- nothing yeah. that could, could change the result as a whole. But no. So yeah, at that that spokesperson video clip was became very popular on Facebook, and then we started making fun about him. This is in like January. Yeah, it's around January. It's yeah, it's probably. Around January, we have Facebook profiles with a frame of his words. We would change okay. that, and then if you wanna, uh, so like, it's like political satire. Yeah, okay. we we are starting to make fun of fun of him, but yeah, and on 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 the day of February first, and 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 up until noon, we didn't know because we didn't have all the internet connection or the cell phone connection, so we didn't know. We only got to know it. After lunch, and it was it was in the in the very early days of 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 February first that um, h- how did how did it unfold? I maybe from from your and sort of twenty something perspectives, like how did uh, how did you see it unfolding in the in the in the very first hours and days? So yeah, in the morning, uh, I was at a. Monastery. I, we were doing a donation. Uh, we were we were serving breakfast to. Where um, at geographically? Where you? Uh, we are in the. I would say, yeah, central part of Mandalay region. Okay. And uh, we went to a, a monastery. We were having fun, and we didn't have any con- cell phone connection. And we thought that it's because we were in a, this remote area around surrounding surrounded by mountains. And we stayed there. No one put two and two together. Like, and, no. and, and, and you know, p- outages are not unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. And and then and uh, so we went back home. And when we when we hit the city, we still couldn't get any connection. But we're still on the we'll stay in the car. And and when we got home, my brother didn't came with us. So he he didn't come with us. And he went to this uh, his normal business and routine and. He he came back for lunch and he gave us the news that there has been a coup. And uh, mostly we don't really watch uh, state-sponsored television and stuff. But right, it's it's yeah. it's both vapid and boring and and just you know yeah, misinformation. And so we we didn't have connection. So I just turn on the TV and try to look for the channel where the state yeah, okay. uh, television is. And uh, I I when I when I reached that channel on my remote, 
they were they were the songs about the tamado and and the military is how great the military is then i i oh just no. knew that okay this is right if we're if we're paying if we're playing like syrupy patriotic mm-hmm. um tunes like before that that stuff. channel have cartoons or k-dramas but they <laughs> are playing that tamado songs non-stop and i just okay this is happening so what was so um people like yourself who were interested in a you know sort of a, a democratic progressive sort of Myanmar what 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 do you do first do you did you immediately start talking to 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 like-minded friends or was it or is it an impulse to go make sure family was where they were and how they were thinking like what well, how how does that what's the thought process yeah my my younger brother was in a different city so we couldn't call him so we were waiting until the signal got back until then i went out to a few few a few of my colleagues and uh we talked about what we should do with uh, i have several classes running at that time and and mostly online so we were just talking about the business aspect of our daily life and we didn't know when this internet is going to come back and at the same time we're also discussing why would they do that and we we were very pissed and at that time we didn't have any idea we're still trying to absorb the situation because right. it's it's kind of like it's a very big thing and uh, and i have seen what happened in 2007 and 8 uh, with the 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 saffron revolution and it's so yeah those memories came back and uh, uh, we started to think about what how we should proceed and is there going to be a turnaround or something hoping for some miracles right, like the, a, so the, that that serious repression in 2007-8 was was a was a flashback memory and then um did, did was there a sense that okay they might have it it'll somehow work out i mean maybe even magical thinking i mean i could see myself saying like cuz you want to believe so bad that like no 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 we're we're, we're not going back into the you know 2000s or 1980 where this 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 is this is not going to happen did, did you try to trick yourself like I, I could see myself doing that like it'll be fine somehow yeah i mean one of the main factors that kept me uh from revolting sooner is is covid was covid because Myanmar is one of the uh best in responding the covid uh crisis and um all the whole country was very cautious before the coup and so all of us were like stay at home don't get out it's right we have this pandemic uh, yeah, the yeah. the help will be soon that kind of stuff everybody was uh, comforting each other at the same time in reality everybody was um suffering and they they are all sad but we didn't know what to do yet so um when it when it starts to dawn that hey this is not this is not only real but it's like it's getting heavy um uh how did how did the first protest that you um that you sort of saw and heard of and and took part of like how did those unfold so the protest didn't start until day um 5 or 6 after the coup and and you think covid was a main contributor to that and like and being able to share information easily because of the network why did it take 5 days do you think oh <laughs> that was also a kind of like I think it was a strategy um spread by the military because 
some of the influential people on the internet started to say that um, uh, you have to wait three days without um, r- responding or acknowledging the the coup. And after three days, uh, international community will come in and help us. So that that was oh. that was sort of like a so you narrative. Th- you think, do you think they were being encouraged to say that by the? I by think the so. Government? It's I, I, it is kind of like a very strategic move by the military because to allow the, them to get the pieces, chess pieces in the right place. Yeah, you think? because if we revolt anytime sooner. Um, because that three days or four or five days gave them time to draft the whole um, cabinet of ministers and 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 other personnel. Uh. Before that, they only they just took over the power. They didn't have a specific uh, people to employ in each position. Right, so the bureaucracy was not in place yeah. for for us to to so take over the civilian government. So yeah, that's like five weekdays or or those three four days were very crucial to them, and I think it was from their part that they started this rumor of waiting three days. <laughs> so, so after three days, nothing happened, and uh, we started seeing a few protests in Yangon and Mandalay, and uh, and and we. St- I wasn't there. I wasn't in the first um, protests, of course. But we started seeing how they were arrested, but not um, not tortured. They weren't tortured then. And they were put into jail, and they came out after two or three days. And that also kind of gave um, the young people like us a sense that, oh, it wasn't as serious as it was in 2008 or 2007. Right, they're they're not they're not killing these people in prison, and we also had this ridiculous hope of this police and then and military soldiers would sympathize us and join us in revolting this yeah uh, mili- uh, this um, the the chief of the military right they they, they have they have hearts how can they not see that this yeah, is like the injustice uh, like we were offering flowers we were offering food to them while we were protesting and we we repeatedly vocalized that we were being peaceful we stayed at our place we we're just uh, expressing our opinions and then at first uh, since at the start of the protests up until like a week there wasn't any violent or any sort of killing. So the whole country started to join more and more because they were expecting to um, see like danger or they were they were afraid that they would get harmed. And when they see a lot of people coming out and protesting on social media, a lot of people started to join. And, uh, and I also got a chance to organize a few protests myself. And uh, I also joined forces with one of the biggest... Um, uh, protest groups in Mandalay, and we we somehow managed to have, uh, I think it was nearly two or three miles long um, string of people right. that we went out. Um, uh, say say just maybe a quick word about like some of the some of the kind of behind the scenes. You know, w- was the thought process like, well, um, we need to be out physically in the street more important than social media or social media an equal part of it or the people you like how do how do you go about like trying to think about yeah the the initial days uh we still have this idea of we have to show the international community that the 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 public resent 
the the military and the coup. So what we try to do is we try to make this protest aesthetically. Uh, but I don't know how how would I put it as you know it's aesthetically nice and 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 strategic. You know? Okay, right. We would gather not just like uh, you know angry mob. No, we would right. gather at places where it's um, it's even even if we protest when we were protesting on roads, there's still room for cars and motorcycles to go by because we have these five lines of people, and and each people on the edge would have to hold a hold a string of some sort, so it's a okay. barrier for the people inside not to exceed those strings so that other people can. Um, so you're travel. trying to have this me- like measure like like. It, some of Martin Luther King's protest philosophy was very much like he let's have like a this very we're, we're more civilized than the yeah. people we're protesting against so let's keep um, so that, those are the sort of initial thoughts yeah we were um, we we're trying to have um, signboards uh, in in uh, different languages especially in English we were addressing UN we were addressing yeah that was that was an interesting and, and a clever um, device I thought where it allowed the sort of the, the, the pictures that got out to, to be immediately translatable, like, uh, yeah. you know, that usable for foreign press to, like, say, like, oh, this is what they're... And, uh, yeah, we also had um, very willing and very excellent, excellent photographers and, and, uh, and media reporters. They could capture really, really good uh, videos or photos that, that was very uh, pivo- that's really pivotal in you know relaying the message of the public um so as the as the the initial sort of peaceful protests start going there's a um the the hope is still high at that early phase that like we're we're, we're going to we're going to push this yeah boulder forward yeah we were hope we were hope and then <laughs> after protesting for like 3 or 4 days there was also another rumor that uh, Aung San Suu Kyi was set free. The rumor started at around four or five in the evening, and then there was a curfew by the military that nobody gets out after seven, I guess seven, eight, and the and uh, the peak of this rumor was around ten or eleven p.m. So the whole city got out on the street celebrating. And um, and and my brothers and my family also wanted to go out and celebrate, but um, I was I also believed it, be- and in some way it was like, oh, is it is it really happening? Because to you just look out the window, you see thousands of people celebrating already. I was like, oh, is it even over? I I, yeah. I don't even know. But um, it was obviously a rumor, and and people just quickly went back inside. After finding out that it's a rumor and, and it wasn't true, so that that night was also uh, those are the nights that made us felt very helpless and at the same time furious. You know, what should yeah. like how are we like how is it be uh, like we are played so we were played very easily. We believe everything we see on Facebook and then. We started to think of strategic uh, protesting. We started to think of more of safety, especially after the shooting incident in Nebidor, the first um, killing uh, of the protest. Uh, we started to think about safety of is the it, protesters. Uh, is it t- 20? Get who, how many are killed in that first, in that Nebidor? 
Uh, that Nebido incident, it was only one, uh, a lady. Uh, and and then after that, they started killing everywhere, all across the country. Okay. Maybe it's it the, the, the group I was thinking about. So um, you're... There's that initial like, okay, this could be we could be in this for the long haul. Yeah, it's um, kind of the, the, those sort of early um, kind of false hopes of of, of a quick solution. Um, yeah, say something about you know, y- you know y- your your own protests and some of the the people around Man- Myanmar, some of the creativity and the um, the way that uh, um, you folks went about trying to sort of. Do this. What would you like to tell us a bit about some of these sort of f- famous, infamous uh, protests? Yeah, um, I mean, creativity-wise, Yango is more f- uh, more famous. I mean, they have they have unmarried couples dressing as uh, wedding ceremonies, protesting. They have um, pregnant ladies protesting with different style of uh, their signboards. Are also very um, entertaining. And in Mandalay as well, we have, we, yeah, most of Mandalay protests, we invite a lot of um, speakers to come speak in the middle of the crowd. And um, creativity-wise, Mandalay is a motorcycle city, so we use a lot of motorbikes, and it's easier to flee whatever happened. But one of the most creative ways came about only after they become very much violent when they started shooting and arresting i mean really badly they would just use brute force to arrest somebody and um and we are we were in this biggest crowd we always managed to have this biggest crowd of protesters we would have hundreds of thousands of of um students all across mandalay and um uh, and what we usually have is since the we we would have a lot of scouts all across the city, especially in front of their um, military bases. And uh, were they were they pretending to be street vendors or to be like, you know? At that time, they weren't doing that. Yeah, they just wanted us to go away, and if they persist to stay, they shoot. But right now. What's happening currently in Burma, they are now starting to pretend uh, normal civilians and they are trying to arrest people. But at that time... Uh, I mean, the, so the military was, I mean, so to you got, uh, how did you, the people oh, who were us? like, yeah, just, I mean, uh, or just, you were, because business had been uh, yeah, really disrupted. Uh, yeah, our, our scouts are, yeah, they would sit at a tea shop and they would just watch okay. how many vehicles are coming on which way. We would be always, we would always be connected via phone. And we would have uh, big uh, bulldozers with um, big rocks on it. And we would also have trucks with a lot of rocks just to uh, block the roads when they come so that the, all the protesters would have time to run. So, okay, so if, if so, if you needed, you could, like, dump this these on, rocks yes, in the road. Yeah, and then we, we did repeatedly because they always come for us because we were the only protest group they, they didn't get to the whole thing, the whole process, and they wow. were dying to get to us, but they never got any success. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's in, that's intense, like, trying to think about, like, so, like, on all side roads, you, you have to, you had to have, the like... Whole, the whole city, we had, had to have a lot of scouts. Think logistically to have, like, uh, things in place just right to, like... Yeah, um, and, 
And a few of us also got arrested mainly because they were making sure others would others would get away. And uh, we have this um, defense force not to not not they they are not armed with anything. They just have a shield, and they are and mostly they they are trying they, what they Pro- did was the they they block the way and they protect other protesters, especially younger students and female students to get to safety. Only after that they get to run. If they cannot run, they got arrested. And when they got arrested, we have to arrange something to get them out. And there is also this um, this economy for these uh, military soldiers and police to make money out of that until it become very serious. And now you cannot do that anymore. Before that, when there are thousands and thousands of people protesting, they have this kind of like a bribery economy where you can just... If you want to get someone out, you can bribe. You can go and bribe. And, and, and it also depends on the person who got arrested. Uh, one of my friends got arrested and he said, I didn't know there was a protest. I was I was out to buy something for my mom and I just I got stuck in the crowd. Right. So right, that right. was his uh, that was his uh, his, his uh, story. Story. Yeah. So yeah. it was easy for him to get out. But some people, they they uh, understandably, they were very furious. So they started saying politically related stuff and they got to stay longer because they, they had said something in the police right. station where the even the policemen who take bribe couldn't do anything. So how how the sort of that phase of sort of the almost guerrilla war guerrilla tactics um uh of of protest uh how long did that phase last um in um in in your case in Mandalay? In Mandalay we were consistent consistently trying to protest until the end of April and sometime even in May. But when we got to the month of May, the protest became um, more scarce. We rarely go out and protest because those were the time. They they would arrest even because their martial law had become a lot stricter as well. We are not allowed to gather more than four people. And if they see, they would just randomly ride around the city. And if and they any see anyone, gra- any group of people, they would just grab and and they start this economy of come and get and give some money to them. And, and so it it obviously so it's it's becoming um, more and more dangerous, and there and the the military is getting more, and they uh, their violence is escalating. Yeah, in this as well. Yeah, uh, at that time they yeah, so. Among this, when we were doing these peaceful protests, uh, we slowly came up ways to not just to avoid them, but to hold them at where they were. So we started using tactics like um, a fire extinguisher tactic, which is, which is we would just um, we just open a can of a fire extinguisher and spray it all over the place so that they couldn't see anything. Smoke kind of yeah. effect. And so they couldn't use any guns or they couldn't do anything when while we would run away. Did and did you ever try? Did I I had the um the women's underwear on oh, the on yeah. the on the clothesline? Uh-huh. Uh, say say a bit about that. Um. So yeah, there were there were 
so I I don't know how how it started, but it started in Yangon when uh, women started to hang uh, their underwears and their longi, which is sort of like a garment that they wear for their lower part of the body, and uh, they would hang it on the streets, and um, and. And we were trying to because the military believe uh, they they believe in astrology a lot, and and they have these superstitions. So we were trying to undermine, uh, you know, their, so pl- play their into power. those superstitions yeah. and, mm-hmm. and hope but that. we weren't hoping that they would react that way because when they when they knew they were longies and underwears on the street, they wouldn't even come close. So those that was the moment that was like oh. Gosh, it really worked. <laughs> we didn't. So, even so, so I guess so. For our listeners, if if women's undergarments and 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 lunji are are hung across the road, the military sort of like a, their superstition of going walking under a ladder yeah. or sort of a yes. black cat. It's like yeah, uh, they they consider these women garments as uh, it's demeaning to their power. So the military power will go down. They will suffer a great loss if, if they, they if, if they, they go if they drive their convoy yeah, under yeah. those. So before coming, they would just clear all these undergarments and and longi before coming to get us. And at that time, it's all over. We can just um, run away and and protest somewhere else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that that's the. I mean, I remember when I first heard this from someone. Um, it just fascinated me that, like, yeah, yeah they, that, they that, that it actually that this might actually work. I mean, on even on on the twelfth of February, this 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 past few days, um, the chief of the military had the picture of sunflower at the back of his seat. Uh, the sunflower in Bur- Bur- Burmese translation is nature, which means you will live long. So he has this superstition: if he has sunflower on his seat and the back. He will live long on this throne, so he he okay, believes. Right. So he's he's really buying into it. Yeah, um, all of the signs and symbols. Um, wh- what did your, I guess so you and you so you were pretty representative of kind of a of a twenty something group. How about your your parents and family? Like, were what were their attitudes? And um, obviously, they were they were worried. It goes without saying. What what, what was what was family response to to what was happening? Yeah, I'm. I mean, my family. Uh, we are not Burmese, so we are we are considered minorities. So, what happened is when 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 even either my parents or us growing up, we were taught that not to get involved in in politics or any sort of conflict. So, as an ethnic minority, keep your head down. Yeah, and um. Otherwise, yeah. you'll get in trouble. You know, we weren't even allowed to get our own name on our national identity card because it will cost us more money. So that's why I had this Burmese name on and on national identity or on my passport. My my um, ethnic minority name cannot be used. So so we grew up something like that, and. Um, and at home we have this big family and and we have six or seven seven cousins so we have we have a, a sizable amount of youth in in the house and my mother was very pa- patriotic she she's she's very brave but my aunt uh was quite um 
worried about us. So my mother was very supportive from the beginning to go out and protest. Uh, she would arrange a lot of things for us. She would, she would prepare, uh, you know, energy bars. She would, she would make all those things that we would need. But at the same time, my aunt would be uh, a lot in in. She's very worried, and she would call us constantly where we were, what, when are we going to come back? But at the time progressed, and when the military become more and more uh, oppressive, uh, even my mom started to uh, feel very concerned, and we could see it on her face, but she didn't say it. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, we have. Um, in my family, in my nuclear family, we have three three brothers. I'm the middle one. I have older and younger brothers, and we had to come up with this strategy of, of um, someone has to stay behind when two two go two goes out, just in case. Just in case something yeah. happened, there is someone to take care of my mother or take care of the family business. Uh. And uh, we we logically talked about that on a dinner table, and none of us couldn't finish and eating or we 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 didn't even touch the plate but that was that was the reality and uh, it was really heartbreaking because uh, we had to draw the lot to to decide who gets out and who stays in on the majority part of the protests and and i got to stay home which is which is uh, i don't know what very it was and you you wanted to go Stand shoulder to shoulder, probably, but also yeah. this this feeling this of feeling. I have to do as a family member, and um, and and my my two brothers would go out every day, and I have this heavy feeling of you know waiting for the time to take um, noon and and then wait for the time they would come back, but uh, when they take a take some rest at home, I would go out and protest, but I we always had to make sure that somebody's home. And not all three of us are gone, j- just in case something happened. And uh, when when these um, killings become more and more intense, uh, we switch the protest strategy from daytime to nighttime. And then we started to protest right in front of our house. So when the military came, we just had to get back inside the house so nobody got arrested. So, so when uh, was there a... Was it after April that that shift to a more a more sort of I don't want to say micro protest, but but like no, uh, really really pro- protesting inside of homes and nighttime um, essentially started in mid April. So 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 more stealth tactics, yeah, because it was it, it became more and more it was just stealthy. too dangerous. Yeah. Um, so, some uh, uh, an, another um, person I know in M- Myanmar at the time was talking about. Um, neighborhood patrols and watches that were on and, and there was some trepidation in this person's case that um, they were at they were on neighborhood watch night watch when these and and um, the person before them had gotten shot by um, that they had just I don't know, a sniper or someone had mm-hmm. had you know person doing nothing more than just not protesting just watching out was when did it become uh, um, truly dangerous even to be near your home and, and it's in that April May period 
Yeah, around that time, April and the transition of April and May was my harshest uh, time because since I didn't get to go out to protest, I took I took in charge of night watch. We started the concept of night watch mainly because in the past, the military uh, in the previous coups, the military would release a lot of uh, prisoners to incite violence. So what th- what they initially did and succeeded was they would make the country more and more unstable. They would make normal public afraid to go out. And then at that time, the military would come in and say that, don't worry, citizens, the military is here to save you. So to incite the violence... So, so they would send, you know, chaotic, just yeah, crimi- e- criminals to, to go and... and you think were they, in, they were instructed, like, go and... Smash and grab. Um. They were they were instructed and they were injected at the same time. They would have a lot of uh, huge needle scars on their hands and wow. and necks and, and sort of like speed or, or sort of amphetamine or something. Yeah, because one b- that we did that night watch and we caught quite a few of them and they couldn't speak anything and their their pupils are dilated and they didn't know what they were doing but they had these knives. They have these Molotov bottles. And we didn't know what they were going to do, and they couldn't say anything until two or three days. And and during that time, the wow. police would come in and they would say, "Okay, this is he is a criminal. We are taking him away. The citizens are not allowed to keep prisoners, and they would just take their people back away." So that was the idea of night watch. And uh, we so we because there were the there were these these you know crazed attacks um at all hours yes so so the police were trying to um do you think in their strategy it's like well we can we can say it's not us doing this these are lawless elements maybe even protest maybe even pro democracy crazy people like do you think that that was what they were thinking in 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 having the the, the prisoners come and um you um, know disrupt neighborhoods well yeah, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but in the past they have succeed, succeeded in doing that. The country became so unstable, and and the distrust amongst the citizens became so high that the military yeah. had to ho- came come in and you know point gun at everyone to calm things down. And they wanted something like that. They wanted to create problems that is only solvable by guns and violence. And that was their and and, their and, aim. and they were they they monopolized especially in the in, in non upland uh, communities they they monopolized yeah. the weapons of violence so yes. okay so it it uh, and it and do you think it they had hoped maybe for people who were on the fence it might say like well we don't know where we stand but we just don't want these elements like yeah. peace is better than anything yeah so yeah that's what they were trying to do and. Uh, and they miscalculated a lot because we 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 somehow become so united and and core, well choreographed in a way that there were no not a single minute that we didn't have any night nights watch to watch our neighborhoods and that was when the night watch idea became popular and then as time went by those people the 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 prisoners the the escapees I don't know the people who incited violence they we see less and less of those and we see more 
police uh, vehicles and policemen coming into the neighborhoods, arresting the night watch, uh, night watch groups because they had this martial law of, of not going okay. out after 8 p.m. So yeah, that that was my next question. So when did the when did the sort of vi- violence and disruption and and come come sort of from the streets into sort of people's homes? Um, was, was it a byproduct of the um, uh, incarceration and kind of you know naming names and networking? Um, like you know, like how how do you think the I guess the the when did they start coming sort of really invading? Um, homes and not you know i've heard this from several individuals that you know that was that was one of the most most truly unnerving when just you know yeah and i think uh when when we got to the month of around april or something the military i think they needed more uh people riflemen for their army i guess so they started uh arresting people um, who are mostly squatters. So the neighborhood that I live uh, had a compound where we help locate the squatters, the people who don't have any land to live, and it's generational problem. So the military needed some soldiers, and they wanted to, I think, recruit them, but not in a good way. They wanted to arrest them. And on some just nights, press they, them into service. Yeah, yeah. On some nights, they would just come and shout that we're not going to harm their women and children. We only want men. And I heard that because it's very close to where I was. Um, like on a loudspeaker. Yeah, it was on loudspeaker. They had. They came with a big, um, big truck, and they would just. So uh, when that happened, a lot of men started to r- run away, and so. So at that time, we were just starting to try to, you know, keep them safe. And when we tried to keep them safe, the military started to invade people who own houses because they suspected that we were keeping them in so that they couldn't get to recruit them. And those were the times they started to shoot randomly in the air. Uh, The month of April was the worst because I could, we would find a lot of... um, uh, bullet shells casings and rubber bullets you know coming dropping <laughs> on the roof of our houses i do have a lot of them as and i'm i'm wow. keeping them maybe one day i get to show you <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah i'm um, you know one one thing that i've been talking to some friends about and and thinking about and and then and i've tried to read about was that um there's a tipping point at which um you know for for a lot of um Burma, Myanmar's recent history. Um, a lot of the ethnic Burmese, Bama, had 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 not suffered had, in in ways that uh, Chin and Karen and Rohingya and and ethnic for those who don't know, Burma is comprised of a very diverse um, group of uh, ethnically, um, and the majority Bama or where Burma comes from are are the most in in number, but there are a huge array of other. Minorities um, and their their experiences vary wildly um, from how th- their their interactions with the central government uh, uh, many times bad. Um, d- do you think that uh, is the and 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 in 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 the period before the 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 coup uh, and a few years before um, 
the the targeting of ethnic minorities by the government was was um, in many cases kind of overlooked by um, sort of everyday Bama Burmese and 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 even and and even supported by um, and aggressive enthusiastically yeah. encouraged. Do you think the the is it a like a pretty gro- grave miscalculation from the of the military government that now they have crossed a line where um, Burmese f- know what it feels like to be like a other ethnic a, a, a Karen or yeah. a Rohingya. Is that, do you think that I means speak to that a little? Yeah, um, it was very. Uh, I think that's one of the good things out of this bad situation that the majority Burmese uh, has came to this moment of realization that they were wrong in some so many cases in the past. And there were like open apologies to Rohingya communities from a lot of um, young Burmese uh, people. Mm. And they started to see how uh, Karen, Kachin, and they, they, they didn't know why they were these ethnic armed forces that has been fighting the military for 70 years, right? And maybe they're just unbelieving government rhetoric that these are just... um, These were rebels. Violent rebels. Uh Yeah, so we believe that somehow. We believe that these KIA, KNU, these ethnic armed forces were rebels and then Burmese military were the good guys who were trying to protect the country. And uh, when this coup happened and when we see what... What the the majority Bamar are, how they are being oppressed, and when we see them in all over social media in front of your eyes, we started to uh, sympathize or empathize how it was like in these uh, villages where there's no internet, there's no camera. How how violent it would have been, and nobody knew what happened because there was no record, and we be- we believed everything that military said. Look at the Rohingya case where the military uh, created this narrative of Rohingyas being very uh, violent and... and right, they're and instigating always. All these, yeah. And now we it was this big moment of enlightenment, I would say, that the, ho- the vast population of the country are like, oh, this... This is what really happened, and and this needs to change. I think those were the days that the military lost all their credibility. We saw a lot of, I mean, we saw men and women uh, having to walk like a dog. They were walking on on their hand and and their feet, and they have to howl. Uh, and to make them to make the military happy, they will be laughing and clapping. But these these guys Just humiliating them, yeah, yeah, humiliating. And we, they were asked to do sit ups. They were asked to sing songs. And uh, one of my friends, who was a lady, and she went out protesting at night, and she got arrested, and uh, and she was she was asked to sing four songs. And she was crying the whole time, and then, uh, and she was simply asked to go back home, and she couldn't go because, and I mean, on the on the way, she just stumbled and fall. It was so tor- torturous for her, 
and it's traumatic and and yeah, I'm and I've I'm sure she saw a lot of guns pointing at her. She didn't say all the story because it's so traumatizing. But I could imagine how frightening it was for her, even though she didn't get arrested. She has this scar, mental scar of yeah. being afraid of the police. Even when I got here at the airport, I was uh, I was I wanted to know, I wanted to uh, know the the line that I have to take to the city. And I was approaching to ask someone, and I saw uh, two police officers, and my muscle memory just turn around and walk away. Oh wow! It, it was in it in, was in in the in, United, in States. United States. Wow. I I was just it was out of Instinct, nowhere. Yeah, like, it was very instinctive, and and after a while, I was like, no, I could I could go ask them. This is not Burma anymore. So I just went there and asked, and it, when I got wow. here, it was around um, July. So there was these fireworks. I will wake up at night with these fireworks, and I couldn't go back to sleep because it's too familiar. The sound is, yeah, trauma. Yeah, I can't. I can't even imagine that. Thanks for sharing that. It, uh, you know, the it struck me that when you were talking that, you know, since it's since it's independence, Burma has been trying to um, sort of wield together this country of 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 unwilling participants some and uh you know the, of, of its patchwork that had been sort of been you know uh constructed um it, not just by the Brit- british uh uh colonial presence but but also by the the monarchy preceded it but um it's it's pretty unsuccessful and and in a weird way they might have created the national unity that they had always <laughs> wanted to invent yeah we needed a common enemy and they were kind enough to create themselves the common enemy so that the whole country could come together yeah it's <laughs> it's like it's so it's so like in in you know scholars have worked on like Zinnemann and others about like vietnamese prisons french prisons were the place where vietnamese started thinking about themselves from different regions of the country class status as like we're one we're vietnamese and we have a common enemy and and it's the you know the um, you know, God willing the you know looking forward the uh, you know if there's a, if there's a uh, an armistice of truce to be had in in Myanmar that um, this will lead to uh, perhaps those 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 sentiments of shared um, solidarity and and uh, do you, do you is that too hopeful is that too naive um, I mean I. I I don't think that's how culture or human evolve. I think this is a good moment that everybody has now realized how the ethnic minorities have suffered, but to achieve harmony or diversity in a sustainable way, I think we are still a long way away a lot of to implement. Yeah. But I and but we we now get a very good start to to talk more about these things because before that, we never talk about federalism. We never talk about diversity, women right, equality. Right, right. Now everybody's openly talking about it, and you will see a lot on Facebook, which is the ma- major platform in Bur- Myanmar to use internet. We have a lot of um, online universities who are openly talking about these things, and thousands and thousands of students are joining these classes to learn more about. Um, other ethnic minorities and their languages, and maybe in, in ways that they wouldn't would never even cross their minds. Yeah, before. that's true. Yeah. So you, you've alluded to this. What are what are your what are your thoughts about the future? 
of 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 Myanmar. I mean, you know, you don't have a crystal ball, but um, what do you? I guess what I think I know what you you want to have happen. What do you what do you think is going to happen, and how do you how do you see the next year unfolding? Yeah, well, at the start we thought it would finish in three days, and then after that we thought it would finish before the water festival of Myanmar, which is mid-April. After that, we thought it would finish before yeah. the Dinjo holiday, which is um, October. After that, the whole country becomes so resilient and the ten- that the tenacity we had uh, seeing these atrocities that we are willing to fight until the end. So, and it is, and I'm, I'm always hopeful and I'm supporting in any way I can for the victory of this revolution. But realistically, uh, the military built their army in 70 years. And, uh, and if we seek to have an armed conflict, we need 70 or more years to, to take them down. So currently, we have different strategies to, keep, to put pressure on them. And we're successfully doing it. For example, they don't have any international recognition from none of the country, not even from Cambodia. They were refused to attend this uh, meeting. So they don't have any recognition as the government of Myanmar. So diplomatically, on international stage, uh, the, the public and the NUG government, the opposition government, are winning. And, um... And on this uh, guerrilla warfare stage, uh, day in and day out, there are killings on both ends, and which it, which is very sad. But uh, and I can, but I understand because I I saw how violent it was and how frustrating it was, and I cannot blame anyone who is who is picking up arms to revolt this military, but support in some way. But um, realistically, it's gonna take. I think a few more years to succeed, but one thing that is sure, I'm I'm very sure, is that there is no escape for the military now. In 2008, they had an upper hand, and they give us, and we took what they gave us. But if they hope for another negotiation or another sort of uh, peace talk, they won't have any upper hand at all, and we would demand federalism, and we would ask them to move out of politics as soon as possible. There's just no credibility yeah. um, beyond, yeah, it's, it's the whatever, whatever, whatever little bit they had th- through sort of monopolized violence that was lost over the um, sort of treatment ac- across this, this last year. Um, yeah. Wh- what would you say to the, to the, um, Non non citizens of Myanmar to to sort of you know um, uh, Americans international people of the international community and maybe fellow Southeast Asia mm-hmm. um, citizens like w- what were ways that um, they could get involved things that they should do um, sort of thoughts on um, participation yeah um, one thing that I notice quite frequent frequently here is that. Um, most of most most of my American friends believe that the the Myanmar public is going to lose one way or another, and uh, so, so pessimism about yeah yeah 
and uh, and being being there firsthand, and my family being there, and what they are doing, and what what are the developments that I've been hearing day in and day out. We believe that we're going to win. It's all about it's all about time. It's a matter of time, and uh, it took a very long time to explain to them. Because, but the only thing that they see is that the military has guns, and we don't have anything, so we're going to lose. It's not it's not that simple. It's not just about shooting people and winning. It's it's not a boxing fight. It's right. It's a fight of your mentality and your resilience and your tenacity to go against. And what some of our listeners might not understand is it's this is not like a revolution or counter revolution in it in maybe a normal situation where you have a faction of of people who are um, you know in support of one party and then you have a faction think of our own you know United States Civil War. Um, who deeply held convictions like this is this is everyone in in Myanmar against Going the military. Against the military. The, the military has no. It's it's this uh, very insular organization that even inter tries to intermarry, tries to culturally. Yeah. It's it's a, it's they siloed. Have, they have their own world. They have their own schools, yeah. own cinemas, own market. They have their own compound to live in. And if you bring your wife or children into the compound, you have better chance of going up up the ranks. If you're married, you have higher chance of getting yeah. a promotion. So, so, so that that means that the the sort of discursive, um, you know, lies and truths that the that they can they can tell within the military can can not have uh, legitimate outside sounding boards to to question yeah. those. But it also means that those. Those ideas are have no resonance with the regular people yeah. that non non military. So um, yeah, so that's that's for the international friends. Um, look look in the past. I mean, we have thrown a lot of thrown away a lot of evil kings and dictators in the past, and uh, if public and people don't let them rule, they will never rule. So when you see a Burmese guy. Being depressed, just believe in you know, yeah. set them belief in them. Just say say encouraging words, uh, because um, most of us don't know anything about what is going on in Burma or Myanmar. So you know, rather than putting assumptions on us, just stay with us and join the fight in any way possible. Well, I can't. Uh I can't end any way better than that. Um, uh, Momo, thanks for, thanks for coming. Thank you. And uh, maybe we can, uh, we can think about um, as, as events change, maybe join us in uh, on the podcast again and we can, we can talk more. Sure. Sure. I, I can't wait to come here again. It's fun. Okay. And join us another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. We would like to give thanks to Tantrakun for the use of his track, Electric Can, and a thanks to our audio producer, Amelia McCoy. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you tune in next time. <laughs>